Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Well, in light of our passage as we continue our series uh, in uh, this ancient text, Exodus 20, um, it's been interesting to me recently how uh, a lot of news outlets um, have kind of been branding themselves with this brand of we tell the truth. Uh, You know, so for example... The New York Times has this had this big tagline recently uh, that basically says the truth. We we tell the truth. Truth is hard to tell, um, but but we do that. We are truth telling. Uh, the Washington Post uh, recently um, has talked about being a truth teller or demanding the truth. Uh, Fox News recently rebranded themselves uh, to say real news, real honest opinion. And of course, this is kind of interesting because these are journalists. This is uh, news-telling media outlets, and so it, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like a water company saying, "Like we serve water." You know, it, it's kind of like, "Yeah, like that's what we expect of you. That's what you're supposed to do. Of course, you should tell the truth. Of course, we should be able to trust you." Yet these companies feel like feel this great need to just say, actually, no, we are trustworthy. You can trust us. This idea of being real or being true, it's big right now. Uh, People are struggling with what can I believe? What is real? Who can I really trust? What do I really know? How can I really know what is right and what is not right? Well, over the past eight weeks, we're on week nine now, we have been uh, studying the Ten Commandments in this series we've called The Ten Rules. Uh, And uh, we've been giving you words that that really frame, and I think these rules, these ancient commands, really frame what it means to live with one another, what it means to have a society. Uh, And all of these words kind of go together. If we get the list up here, uh, you know, so for example, uh, without authority, you can't have order. Uh, And without order, you'll never have rhythm. And without rhythm, you'll never be able to have contentment and faithfulness without this idea of sanctity. Uh, there'll be no idea of covenant or faithfulness to one another. And so there, there's an idea where all of these things fit together, but they also frame life. They frame relationships with, without some sort of structure, without the structure that, that this law really provides. We can't have society. The world begins to fall apart. And that is definitely true of the rule that we're going to be looking at today, which is the rule of truth. Now, there's two parts of this command. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. There's kind of the part of truth versus falsehood. <clears throat> but then there's the part about your neighbor. Uh, and as you saw it in, in the prayer that we just prayed too, there, there, there's an impetus in this where it's more than just we want to tell the truth, but we want to seek our neighbor's good. We, want, we don't want to be selfish with a false story. Last week, if you were here, we looked at the Heidelberg Catechism to give us a little framework in terms of understanding the eighth command. Um, and I, I think that it's also helpful in terms of understanding the ninth command. The catechism, if you, if you weren't here last week, it is a way that people traditionally taught theology. It's a question and answer form of training, a question and answer form of teaching. And it says what is commanded of, uh, what is required in the ninth commandment. And the answer is this, that I never give false testimony against anyone, that I twist no one's word, that I don't gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly without a hearing. Rather, in court and everywhere else, 
I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are the very devices that the devil uses. And they would call down on me God's intense wrath. I should love the truth and speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. So if, if Heidelberg is right here, if this is what it means to obey this command, we, we've got a lot of work today. today. So let's get to work as we talk about the rule of truth. And the, the three things that I kind of want to think about today with you as we consider this command is, first of all, the reason that people lie. Why do we lie? Why do we lie? Secondly, the consequences of lying. What does it really do? What are the, the true consequences when we lie? And then lastly, the beauty of truth. So why do people lie? And maybe why is truth today such a rare commodity? I mean, isn't it, isn't it so hard to find someone or something or some outlet that you really trust that you know is going to tell the truth? Well, in order to answer that, I think in terms of the, the moment we're in right now, you, you kind of have to go back to the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment, 17th, 18th century, was really seeking to free uh, people from some of the power structures that existed, that had really become corrupted. So some of the, you know, the, the governmental power structures, the monarchs that had absolute power, uh, that used it in an abusive way, right? So you see a, the, the, like the, the number one product of the Enlightenment or the, the best way to understand the Enlightenment is the United States of America, right? We're, we're freeing ourselves from this monarch of power that was over us at the time, King George. Um, another thing that the Enlightenment was concerned with was freeing itself from uh, the, the abuse of power in the church. And, and certainly at, at, at this time in history, there were abuses of power uh, among religious institutions. And so we see things like the freedom of religion. That's a big uh, enlightenment idea. Um, and there was a lot of other ideas of the enlightenment that, that weren't good, but there was some good, some bad. But as enlightenment thinking developed in the 19th century, people started to say, so 1800s, people started to say, well, let's just free ourselves of God altogether, right? If we're getting rid of these monarchs and these priests that have all this power, Let's just get rid of any kind of authority over us. Let's just get rid of all accountability. And this became kind of a big 19th century thought. And this is where atheism or just even, even deism had developed to this point. And maybe we can just get God out of the equation altogether. And, and, and around this time, uh, there was so much conversation going on. How do we interpret these things? How do we understand modern thought? Uh, there was this guy named Fyodor Dostoevsky. And, and he wrote a book called The Brothers Karamazov. And, and what this book is trying to do is, he was written in 1880, so it was a little while ago, but it's still pretty applicable today. What Dostoevsky is trying to do in this is try to interpret all of these new worldviews. What do you make of them? How do we understand where authority has its place and who God really is and, and how much authority should be in our lives? And there's a lot of different conversations throughout the book, but kind of the main dialogue that, that made the book so famous was this dialogue between two of the brothers, one of the brothers named Ivan and one of the brothers, another brother named Alyosha. Ivan was the skeptic. Ivan was the atheist. He was the one that had rejected God. Alyosha was the believer. He was the one that, that believed God and that had given his life to God. And so Ivan goes off and says, well, we can't believe in God for this reason and this reason and this reason and this reason. Most of it had to do with human suffering. And then in the end of his little speech, 
he says this. It's a very interesting line. He says, there is nothing left but faith in what the heart doth say. All I can really believe and all I can really be certain of is what I believe, right? All I can really be certain of is what my heart is telling me. Follow your heart. I'm going to be true to my own heart. Now, this is 1880, right? This is a long time ago, but this, this really captures kind of postmodern thinking. All I can really know that's true is what my heart is telling me. I've got to tell my story. I've got to do my thing. Uh, a few months ago, Tim Keller was in town doing this fundraiser thing, and Paige and I got to go, and um, he said this one statement. He opened his little speech that night with this very profound statement. I, was, I, I thought it was great. He said, it used to be that truth was something external and feelings were internal, right? So it used to be that truth existed, right? It was an external, absolute ideal that it was out there. And we had to figure out how we interacted with truth, right? We, we had to figure out how we felt about the truth. We may not like the truth. We may love the truth. But truth is out there. We got to figure out how we're interpreting the truth. But he said, but nowadays, we think more like Ivan, right? Nowadays, he said, truth is internal and feelings are external. Nowadays, I determine the truth. What I feel is truth. What I believe is truth. What my heart doth say is truth. And you've got to figure out how you feel about it. What is this? This is this. Is this. this is, there is nothing left but faith in what the heart doth say. Well, when Ivan says this, Eliosha responds, and all these responses are really long, so I'm very much abbreviating this, but he, he, he says this. He says, nothing is more seductive. This is one of the greatest sentences in the book. He says, nothing is more seductive for man than the freedom of conscience. He, he goes to Ivan who says, look, I just want to be free. I want my heart to, I want to do what I want to do. And, and, and Eliosha says, well, of course, nothing is more seductive than the freedom of conscience, but nothing is a greater cause of suffering. So here's what Eliosha is saying to Ivan. He says, well, of course, Ivan, <laughs> of course you want to just do what your heart is telling you to do. Of course you want whatever your heart says to be true. I mean, wouldn't you like it if everything you want to do was right because your heart is true? Of course, it's, there's nothing more seductive than that, right? There's nothing more seductive than just believing anything I want must be right because I want it. It goes back to the very first lie that was ever told, right? The serpent came into the garden and said to Eve, you will be like God. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. You'll know good and evil. You'll decide good and evil, Eve. You'll be the one that's in control. You'll be able to follow your heart. You won't have to submit to this external truth. You'll be the truth, Eve. Of course, Ivan. Nothing is more seductive for man than the freedom of conscience, but nothing, and hear this, is a greater cause of suffering. Nothing will cause more torment than this. And as the world becomes more and more and more full of internalization of truth, a greater internalization of truth, truth is what my heart believes, truth is what I believe, truth is internal. Truth, real truth, will become more and more and more and more rare. You see, ultimately we lie, I want you to hear this, ultimately we lie when we reject God's story and begin telling our own story. All truth is God's truth. God is a God of truth. And when we don't like God's truth, 
When the external truth is inconvenient for us, when it gets in our way, what do we do? We lie. This is why we lie. We don't like the external truth. And we start writing a different story. Again, this is why Satan is known as the father of all lies. He came to the garden with a different story. He says, you won't die. You don't, don't have to trust God. I know you don't like this rule, so go ahead and eat of the fruit. Go ahead and create your own truth, Eve. This is an alternate universe that Satan is creating, and he has been teaching us to do the same thing ever since. We have been lying from that day to this day. Lying is pro-self, anti-neighbor, anti-God, and it ultimately, Eliosha says, it ultimately does great damage to yourself. Nothing is a greater cause of suffering. Lying is the way of the serpent. J.I. Packer says this, Satan lied and lies because he hates God and he hates God's people and he wants to extend his anti-God revolt. All lying, all lying is an anti-God revolt. It's it's an anti-universe. It's an anti-story of God's true story. Every time you lie, Every time you twist someone's words, every time you gossip and slander, every time you join in condemning someone rashly or without a hearing, you join in rebellion against God. You undo the good design of God's good world. Which brings me to the second point, which is the consequences of lying. On Tuesday night, we have our group. We meet up at the collective. Tuesday night, South Buckhead group. It's awesome. You got any South Bucketers here? I was hoping for a little bit more, but whatever. Um, it's a great group. Tuesday night, we're there meeting. And during the middle of uh, our meeting, uh, one of our members uh, had his car broken into. I mean, total smash and grab. I say this for two reasons as part of my sermon, but also it's a nice uh, warning to all of you. Please take valuables out of your car when coming to the collective. Um, but yeah, I just, I hated it for him. I, I just felt so, he just, I mean, he just felt so crummy. Uh, I texted Blake, actually, to tell him this. I said, yeah, we had, you know, one of our young guys had a, his bags stolen out of his car. And Blake texted back, pretty slick thieves to steal on the week where our sermon text was, you shall not steal. Um, but of course, we know that reality, right? I mean, we, we know the reality of Atlanta, right? We know the reality of the city. You've got to lock your doors. You've got to watch out for things. You've got to, you know, you've got to hide things. You've got to put stuff in your trunk, right? You've got to watch out out there. But what if you didn't? What if you didn't? What if you never had to worry about that? What if you never had to worry about people taking advantage of you? What if you never had to worry about anybody stealing? What if we never had to worry about anyone committing adultery? Everybody was always honest about their vows. What if we never had to worry about things like violence or murder? And what if there was no fear ever of deceit or dishonesty or lack of integrity? What if people just did what they said they were going to do? How amazing would that be? What if you could just assume that everyone was speaking well of you all the time? And you knew whatever they were saying, no matter what it was, it must be good because they're saying it of me. What if you could just assume that people were telling the truth? What would the world be like if if that was reality? And here's what I want you to hear. In a very real way, 
this is the goal of the Ten Commandments. This is what God is trying to do. He is establishing a people. He is establishing his covenant people, the people of Israel. And he's giving them a command. And he says, look, I'm going to give you these laws. Behave this way and you will reflect my character. And you will show my goodness. And and you, even though you're a small country, Israel, there will be so much density and potency and goodness about you that it will actually be a witness to the whole world. But of course, Israel didn't do that, did they? They lost their distinctiveness. They became like the rest of the world. They followed the course of all of the other nations about, uh, around them. And then eventually, they, of course, they just became just like the rest of the world. And they were dispersed or disseminated into the world. But I want you to hear this. God is now doing the same thing with us. As a New Testament church, one of my favorite passages, 1 Peter 2.9, it says, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. You see the language he's using there? He's using the language, the same kind of language that he used of the children of Abraham. You're my people. You're my possession. You're my nation. And then that you may proclaim the excellencies. You may display the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why, I want you to hear this. This is why for those of us who are in Christ, This is why Christian behavior is so important. You're God's people. You are a chosen people of God called to display his excellencies. And as you live according to his way, what you see, as you live according to God's ethic, what we experience is kingdom advance. What we experience is true kingdom advance. How is the kingdom advancing? Of course it's advancing through our words, but it's advancing when our lives are like our words. When our lives back our words up. And when we don't, when we disobey God's commands, when we disobey God's ethic, that means that the kingdoms of this world are advancing. It's a kingdom retreat. When we lie, we join the enemy. We join with the father of lies. What you say, I want you to get this, what you say is so important. Your your tongue has so much power. You know, James talks about this in his book. He says, your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It's small, but it controls the whole ship. What you say is so important. You are either advancing God's kingdom or tearing God's kingdom down by your words. Is there any integrity in your speech? Is there honesty in your speech? The whole course of the ship, the whole course of your life And by virtue of being known as a Christian, the whole course of God's kingdom is directed by what you say. And you will either have a heart of kingdom advance or a heart of kingdom rebellion. You will either have a heart that loves truth or a heart that that rejects it. And I just want to say, yeah, we can't control what happens outside of the church. We, We live in a world of deceit. We live in a world of dishonesty. You just have to know that. That's the ethic of the world around you. We live in a world where, of course, people don't recognize the authority of the ninth command because people don't recognize the authority of the one who gave the ninth command. You know what we do in a courtroom? You know what we do in a courtroom to try to get people to tell the truth in court? It it, it stemmed off this very command, don't bear false witness. You know what we do in a courtroom? We actually make people put their hands on a Bible. We still do that. 
But even that, you have been reading story after story, even that tradition, it's been a part of our country's heritage for a very long time. Even that's being challenged and questioned and, and will likely be done away with as our culture becomes more and more and more secular. Now, why do we do that? We do that for people that aren't necessarily espousing Christians. What we're trying to do, the reason that the courts were set up that way, is because we want to give people a notion that there is accountability to what you say. There is accountability to what you can lie here, you can deceive us here, but there is accountability to what you say. But you remove that accountability and just hear this truth will become more and more and more and more a rare commodity. Another famous... Uh, line from the brothers Karamazov that Alyosha says, he says, where there is no God, everything is permissible. If you, if your heart is the authority, then anything you want goes. What is there to keep you from lying if there is no God? My point is this, in a secular world, a secular world is a dishonest world. And you live in a dishonest world. You live in a world that is going to lie to you, that's going to deceive you, that's going to speak ill against you. And here's the deal. I want to say this to, to those of you who are professing Christ. You have two choices. The easy choice is just to join in with the world and to say, well, this is what you kind of have to do. This is, you know, you can't quite have integrity in your speech. Nobody does. You can't quite be honest all the time. Nobody is. It, it's better to twist. It's better to emphasize different things. It's better to be a little deceptive. That's how you get stuff done in this world. You got to learn how to tell compelling stories. That's the first choice. Or you can be different. Or you can tell the truth. You can honor God with your words. You can honor one another with your words. You know, ultimately, this is a command about loving God and loving one another. Do you love God? Do you love his truth? Do you love others to, to serve them and be truthful about them and not slander them even when it's difficult? As Heidelberg says, I should love the truth, speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. But hear this, this is going to be hard because if, if you're going to try to advance your neighbor's good name, I just want to say this to you. You're going to have a lot of neighbors that aren't trying to advance your good name. You're going to have a lot of neighbors that aren't speaking well of you. You're going to have a lot of neighbors that are speaking ill of you and gossiping against you and lying against you. And this is so difficult. You know, some of the hardest things that have happened to me is when my name has been wrongly tarnished. You feel so helpless. I mean, I, I'm sure most of you have had that experience. When your name has been wrongly tarnished, when you have been spoken ill of, and it's not true, it's not right. They've, they've twisted a truth. They've twisted it. It's so hard. It's so hard to forgive. It's so hard to get over. You feel so helpless. You want to go and defend yourself. And, and, and look, I'm not saying here that there aren't moments of clarification or seeking earthly justice or pursuing justice. There certainly are, and there's systems to, to clear your name, and, and, and that is a good thing. I'm not saying don't pursue those things, but what I am saying is this, is that even when we've been hurt, even when we've been wrong, we should have a good posture toward others, and we should work for their good. Even when we've been treated wrongly and been lied against, we should be people of the truth. We should have a posture 
and a desire to do what is right and to speak well and to have integrity and to show up and to be there and to be honorable with our speech even when no one else around us is. And if you will do that, if we will do that, even this small little church, if we will do that, there will be such a potency about us. There'll be such a thickness about us that it'll do what God was intending to do with Israel. It'll display his goodness. It'll display his, his glory. What if this, what if just this was a safe place? It would be, it would be magnificent. <laughs> it would be thick. It would be glorious. God's glory would be known among us. Which brings me to the last point, which is the beauty of truth. You've heard me talk, I know I've mentioned this at least three or four times here, but Edwards' famous book on the nature of true virtue, Jonathan Edwards wrote this book on the nature of true virtue. And the book is about what is truly virtuous versus what just seems virtuous. And it's a hard distinction to make, right? Sometimes things seem good or seem right, but they're not truly Right, they're not, they have no depth about them, no core. I was trying to think of an analogy that might make this obvious to us. You ever seen somebody apologize, but they're not really sorry? Like they got caught, they have to apologize. I mean, your kids, and you're like, well, my kids every day. But like, no, but I'm talking about, like, let's pretend like famous person, they got caught doing something, they have to give an apology for it. But you're listening to the apology, and you're like, he's not really sorry. You know, she's not really sorry for you know, they're, they're, they're reading a speech, but they're not really sorry. You know, so it appears to be remorseful. It appears to be repentant, but it's not truly repentant. That's a good illustration of what Edwards is going on here. What is true virtue where it's, where it's true? On the other hand, if you ever actually see somebody who's truly repentant, you can tell. You know what I'm talking about? You, you can tell. In fact, you almost can't wait to forgive them. You're like, please, please stop repenting. I forgive you. You know, I clear you of this. There's a difference between something that appears to be virtuous and something that is truly virtuous. So with honesty, I'm glad people are honest. A lot of people are honest, but there is still in our culture a reward for being honest. There is some good to being honest. It's fading in a secularizing world, but there is still some good about it. It's the reason that Fox News, for example, just changed their thing. Real news, honest opinion. They want to be known for being honest. George Washington, he's been around a long time in America. George Washington, you know what his big campaign thing was? You know, George Washington, you know this story, but this was like his big campaign tactic. You know, as if winning the Revolutionary War wasn't enough, they went around and told this story about George Washington when he was a little boy cutting down a cherry tree. And then telling his parents, telling his dad about it, fessing up to his dad. George Washington is honest. He told his dad about the cherry tree. You know, Abraham Lincoln, right? What, what do we know Abraham Lincoln has? Honest Abe Lincoln. You know why? Again, literally goes back to campaign. These are all like campaign tactics. So Abraham Lincoln, his posters, his campaign posters didn't just say vote for Abraham Lincoln. They said vote for honest Abraham Lincoln. And there were some legend stories that went along with him being honest too. So it's been around a long time. There, there is some reward for being honest. So I'm glad that people are telling the truth. But listen, what if there was no reward for telling the truth? 
What if actually in our culture, dishonesty was more praise? What if Abraham Lincoln's poster had been like, the most believable liar, vote for Abe. He tells lies that seem really true. He's so convincing. What if that's what we valued? How would our posture toward truth change if it wasn't seen as a good thing? One of my seminary professors, Bruce Ware, I've mentioned this quote before, but he says, if the only thing keeping you from sin is the consequence of sin or the opportunity to sin, then what does that tell you of your heart? If the only thing keeping you a particular sin is because you're afraid of getting caught or, you know, it, it's not advantageous for you to, to, to not do it, then do you really love virtue? This is what Edwards is getting at. Why are you honest? Why are you obeying the ninth command? Do you find yourself telling the truth even when it hurts? Even when there's no reward for it? Do you find yourself telling the truth even when you have every reason and every justification to not be truthful because somebody has not been truthful about you. But if you find yourself even in that situation being honest, you know what that is? You know what we call that? That's true virtue. That's what Edwards is talking about. That's true virtue. And in order for Christians, I want you to hear this, to be honest in an ever increasingly dishonest world, we have to be people that don't tell the truth because of the consequences of not telling the truth. We have to be people that tell the truth because we actually love the truth. Because we actually love God, who is the truth. We have to be people that love others so much that even when they hurt us, we are willing to be truthful about them. We have to be people that are willing to really obey this command. We have to be people that are willing to tell the truth even when it hurts. Now, here's the deal. How are we going to do that? How are we going to be a people that love people even when they hurt us, enough to be truthful about them? How can we be a people that are honest to people that are dishonest to us? How can we be a people that obey God because we love his truth even when it hurts? And I want you to hear this. The only way that we can be this kind of church the only way that we can be this kind of holy nation displaying the potency and goodness and glory of God is to believe that in Christ, we have a God who loved us even when we hurt him. It's to believe that in Christ, we have a God who loved and pursued us with truth even when we were dishonest to him. It's to believe that Jesus was willing to be, to be obedient to his father and to his father's story, and to his father's command, even when it hurt. You know what the lie to Eve was, the first lie? You will be like God. You can write your own story, Eve. Forget about the external truth. You can be like God. God is withholding from you. Eat this fruit, and you will be like God. But of course, it wasn't true. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they, weren't, they were less like God. They, they had to get away from the presence of God. But I want you to hear this. The beauty of the gospel is this, that we have a God who even in our rebellion, even in our rebellion to try to become like him, which we could never do, we have a God who did become like us, who humbled himself to become like us, to cross over into our realm, to take on 
human form to be like us in every way in order to restore us back to relationship with him. You know, we've said we lie to advance our story. We lie because we want our story to be the story and not God's story. But Jesus never lied. Jesus came in a world where he was lied about and mocked and put down and where he was falsely accused. And even when he was on the cross suffering the consequence of our lives, what did he say? His posture toward us was love. He said, forgive them. Forgive them, Father. See, we have a Savior that was so obedient to God's will, to God's truth, that even when it hurt him deeply, even when it hurt him in the most deep way, even when it meant that Jesus was going to have to go to the cross, Jesus said yes to his Father's will, and he obeyed. And if you have a Savior like that, I want you to hear this. If you have a Savior like that, if you have a Savior that loved God and that loved others in a sacrificial way, if you have a Savior that gave everything in order to obey the Father, in order to love you, then you can learn to be honest. Then you can learn to love others as he did, even when it hurts. There's nothing more seductive to us, even to us, There's nothing more seductive than the freedom of conscience. We're all going to want this. We're all going to want to write our own story. We all want our internal truth to be the truth. That is very seductive. But listen to this. There is nothing that leads to more suffering. And the reason that people have been rejecting God's story, the reason that people are divided from one another, the the reason that people backbite each other, and hate each other and and have division and and a heartache and loss and on and on and on and on is we have rejected the truth for our own truth. There's nothing more seductive than this, but nothing that leads to more suffering. This divides us from one another. And worst of all, lying divides us from God. In the end, there's nothing more treacherous than believing a lie. But there's nothing more beautiful than loving God's truth. And I just want to say this to you. God's truth is so good. God's story, the story that God wants for you is a good story. He loves you. He's pursuing you. Jesus was willing to come and face all of our lives and all of our torment and be crushed even when it hurt him deeply and obey his Father's will, even when it hurt him deeply for you because God's will and God's story for you is good. So look to Jesus Find yourself in him. You know what Jesus says? He says, I am the truth. I am the truth. Love me and you'll find the truth. You want want to obey this command? Look to Jesus. He is the truth. He's full of truth. Love him. Look to him and you'll find the truth. And the truth will please God. The truth will serve others and the truth will bring peace to your own soul. Let's pray. Father, um, help us to hear these words. Our our words mean so much. So much is at stake. Help us to be people of integrity. Help us to be people of truth, that love your truth, that love your way, and that follow, Lord, your will. Even when it hurts, Lord, even, even when being truthful and having integrity and showing up when we say we're gonna show up, costs us. Help us to be the people that display your character and goodness. Help us to be people that back up these good things that we say and sing about you with the consistency of our lives.
even in a world that is inconsistent and dishonest. And so, Father, I pray that um, by God's grace and in Christ's name, you plant these truths in our heart. We pray these things in Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.